love this sermon series that we're doing during the Advent season uh, for a couple different reasons. One, I like that it reminds us that what we celebrate during the season is not just, you know, Talladega Nights, baby Jesus in a manger. Like, I like that it reminds us that what came on Christmas morning was so much more than what people thought and carried so much more weight. And I also like it because names are significant. Uh, especially in biblical times, names had great meaning. And I remember when Megan and I were pregnant with Colby, I, I wanted something significant in names because I think names do a couple different things. And I think one of them is a name speaks a little bit to who you are, right? That's what it was in Bible times. And so for years and years and years, I will tell you up until about two weeks before Colby was born, my wife will tell you she was never going to let this happen anyway, but I think she's lying. I was going to name him Jonathan Elway Ralston. After the greatest quarterback in the history of professional football. And my dream was that his name would carry weight. My son is the one who was up here playing guitar this morning. He is incredibly gifted in numerous ways. I will just let you know that his gifts wouldn't have leaned into that name specifically. And remember, sometimes a name reminds you of something, right? It reminds you of something. And sometimes, like, what's really insignificant to most people in a name is really significant to you. Uh, anybody that's taught, you know this, that, like, when you have kids, like, there's always that kid that you want to name your kid, then you go, oh, yeah, I named that kid. Can't do that. And so for years, Megan and I, wanted a son named Caleb Jonathan. The problem was I coached a kid when we lived in Illinois whose name was Caleb Johns, and we could not name our son that. Now, he turned out to be a wonderful person, but not when I knew him. And so for years, like, that's what it was going to be, but his name was spelled with K. And so when we had Caleb, we named him Caleb with a C, and we changed his middle name because that small change meant nothing to you, but it was incredibly significant in our home. And this morning, we're going to look at the name of Jesus that in some ways is very, very similar to what others have been called before him. In fact, there's really only one word that's different than what tons of people before Jesus had been called, but that word is incredibly significant. And this name carried probably almost more weight than any other name Jesus had with the people in Jesus's day. And so this morning, you and I, we're going to dive into the book of Hebrews, and we're going to see how this name also carries great weight with you and I today. This morning, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. We're going to start in chapter 4, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 9. In the book of Hebrews, we learn this name of Jesus, the great high priest. In chapter 4, starting in verse 14, it says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. So let us then draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Jesus is the great high priest. That's our name for this morning, and it has a small word in front of it, that has great significance. See, there had been lots of high priests before Jesus. The Old Testament is full of people who were high priests. Jesus had high priests in his day, but nobody had been 
the great high priest. He is greater than every high priest who has come before him. And we're going to see this morning that carries a lot more significance than you might think. See, Jesus is different. Now, Hebrews tells us that Jesus was appointed to this position just like the priests who had gone before him. But Jesus is greater. In fact, he's greater in three specific ways. If you flip over in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 11. We're going to walk through what Hebrews tells us about Jesus. It says, but when Jesus appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that's not of this creation, Jesus entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus he secured an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, if that sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more or how much greater Will the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more, how much greater will that purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews tells us that this Jesus, this high priest is greater because he brings a greater sacrifice. See, Old Testament priests could only offer sacrifices that would, would delay God's judgment. And they would come in and they for the sacrifice of bulls and goats, and we've talked about that this one through the book of Leviticus, and it was very meaningful, but it only delayed God's judgment. It, it delayed his judgment against their sin. Their sacrifices could, for lack of a better term, buy time, but they had to keep doing it over and over and over and over again. They had to go in on a regular basis because people would continue to sin, and they would go offer a sacrifice that would relieve or, or reprieve the wrath of God, and they would come back out over and over and over again. But Hebrews tells us that when Jesus came, he offered a greater sacrifice. He offered a once and for all sacrifice. He accomplished complete and forever atonement for sin, forgiveness of sin. It took care of it forever in one moment. Jesus doesn't have to keep going back again and again and again. He went once and gave sacrifice, the greater sacrifice so you and I could live. In 1 Peter chapter 2, this is what Peter says, he says, Jesus himself, he is the one who bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By Jesus' wounds, you and I have been healed. Jesus is unlike any other priest before him because the other priests, they would offer someone or something else's blood. Jesus is the only priest who offered his own. Jesus' sacrifice is greater. Bible scholar Michael Kruger says this. He says, the kind of cleansing that the old covenant old sacrifices provided, it was limited. He says it merely offered the blood of goats and bulls, which only sanctifies for the purification of the flesh. He says this kind of purification, it's what we might call ritual purity. The idea was that if you washed yourself correctly, if you put on the right clothes, if you ate the right things, if you performed the right rituals, if you did the right things, then you could be declared clean. The book of Leviticus is, is full of these things. But all of that was just on the outside. See, Jesus is the only priest who did something for you and me on the inside. 
He cleanses us internally. He sanctifies our hearts and our minds and our consciences, not just our flesh. Jesus doesn't just make you look pretty. Jesus changes what's inside of you. And no other priest can do that. See, what, what Jesus did when he came was completely different. See, by the Old Testament ways, they could do things and you could have things done for you that made it so you were clean on the inside. But Jesus came and said, you need a better sacrifice. Because until you change what's in here, which can only be done by God and his Holy Spirit, then nothing on the outside will change forever anyway. It's like throwing your kids' clothes in the dirty laundry. You're into the laundry, right? It's like taking their dirty clothes and throwing them in the laundry, and you know that you're just throwing them back in next week, right? You know that if you have little kids and you take them, they take their clothes off, you put them in the laundry, you clean them, you bleach them, you do, I don't know how to do laundry, whatever you do, take them out, they're clean, right? Until they go back outside. And the only way you will ever keep your kids' clothes clean is to change their heart, which you cannot do, right? Can I get an amen from the mom? But Jesus came. See, you and I, we tried to do the same thing. We tried to live by just a, a high priest way. Well, if I just do the right things or I say the right things or I go to the right places, if I look the right way, well, then I'm clean until I go outside and get dirty. Jesus says he has a better way. Jesus says that we can come to the great high priest who offered a better sacrifice and we can be made clean from the inside out. The writer of Hebrews goes on in verse 15, this is what he says. He says, therefore, because of that, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, a new promise, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, he's talking about like a, a living will, will and trust, the death of the one who made it must be established. <clears throat> For a will takes effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who made the will is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every command of the law has been declared by Moses to all the people, they would take blood of calves and goats, scarlet wool, hyssop, they would sprinkle blood on the book of itself and all the people, saying that this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. He says, in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels and everything they used in worship. Indeed, under the law, everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves needed a better sacrifice than these. Jesus not only brought that better sacrifice, but Jesus, the great high priest, is the greater mediator. In fact, Jesus changes what you and I think mediator means. He, he's not just a great, changes what we think of it. See, we often think of a mediator in terms of being someone who, who enters a room between two divisive parties, right? And the mediator comes in when you and I can't come to an agreement, and they come in. They take a little bit of what you want. They take a little bit of what I want. And they get us in the middle and they find a compromise that we can both live with. That's what a normal mediator is, but Jesus is greater. In fact, that's not what Jesus does at all. 
because you cannot compromise God's holiness and his justice. See, because God is holy, and because God is just, sin has to be punished. So there is no meat that can come in and bargain with God for you and me. They cannot stand before a holy and righteous God and go, well, just bet us a little bit in the middle, God. That cannot happen. So Jesus doesn't compromise God. In fact, he agrees with God the Father. Jesus agrees that you and I deserve the wrath of God. Jesus agrees about the ugliness of our sin. Jesus agrees with God the Father that sin has to be punished. And Jesus agrees with God that a sacrifice has to be made. But Jesus, as our mediator, steps in and says, I'll be that sacrifice. See, Jesus doesn't try to compromise a better deal for you and me. Jesus takes our place and mediates the only deal. All of us, without exception this morning, we stand in a position where you and I stand before a holy word of God, and we need someone to speak on our behalf. We need someone to act on our behalf. We need someone to intercede on our behalf and represent us because you and I, we have no leg to stand on before a holy God. None. And Jesus steps into that and does what no priest before him could do because Jesus is the only one who's ever been sinless. No other priest could make this deal because no other priest lived a perfect life. Jesus mediates a deal by becoming our sacrifice. That's why in 1 John chapter 1, John says, if you and I now, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and he is just and he still will forgive your sins and mine and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Not because of what you and I did, because of what Jesus did in our place. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, what this tells you is beautiful. This is the gift you've been looking for when you come to Christmas. Jesus, the great high priest, if he is your king and your savior, what this tells you is that he is a high priest who will never stop loving you. Jesus will never stop pleading your case. Jesus will never stop representing you and me before God because Jesus is a greater mediator. And what that means is that when God looks at you and when he looks at me, he doesn't see this sinful, horrible person that lives outside the will of God. Instead, he sees the righteousness of the great high priest, Jesus. He sees Jesus surrounding us. In fact, Paul says, clothed, clothing us. Not because of what you did, not because of what I did, but because Jesus represents us now before God. He is the lens through what God sees in us. That never stops. See, see, no matter what kind of life you have led, no, no matter how far from God you've been, no matter what kinds or how many sins you've struggled with or even struggling with right now, if you are in Jesus, then when God looks at you, he sees perfect righteousness. Not because you are, but because of the blood of the great high priest Jesus who has mediated between you and God, who has taken your place. Jesus, the great high priest, the, the great mediator, essentially says to God on a consistent basis that whatever is true of me is true of those who have surrendered and made their faith in me. Think about that for a minute. 
I've been here 15 years. I think some of you like me. Thanks for not groaning. Uh, would have liked an amen or two, but whatever. Uh, I really like Dave. I think he's a great pastor. I like Adam. I like Jen. I like all the people that pastor us here. But I don't want to go to God and say, you know what, God? What's true of Dave Fremstad, that's true of me. I'm going to let you in on a secret. I think I'm great. You don't want to go to God with that deal with me either. No, there's only one priest. There's only one pastor. There's only one shepherd. There's only one. He is greater than every other pastor, shepherd, priest, whatever you want to call it, before him. And he is the one who stands in your place. And he is the one who God looks at and goes, that's what you look like. You look like a great high priest because of what he's done. And the beauty is not only did Jesus do that, not only did he live a perfect life, but he lived a life that now he understands everything that you and I go through. He's not some priest like some of the ones in the Old Testament who sat up on a hill and never mingled with the people and you couldn't relate to in any shape or fashion. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That is why the book of Hebrews tells us that our great high priest is greater than every priest who's ever lived, but he also knows you and relates to you and can sympathize with you in a way no other priest ever could. I don't know if you've ever heard this term before. I never knew this before. I know there's a couple of you here that I know you know this term. But I'd never heard of this before. There is a term called sympathetic resonance in music. Sympathetic resonance. I didn't know what that was. Somebody smarter than me put it in a book, and that's how I learned it. Okay? But the fact is, it's when you have like two pianos or two guitars, things with strings, in the same room, notes struck on one, the same note will gently respond on the other, even though it's not touched by a human hand. It's called sympathetic resonance. If I struck a chord on Cold's guitar up here, and there was another guitar next to it, it would resonate with the same gentler tone, even though nobody touched it. And Bible commentator Kent says that Jesus is like sympathetic resonance. He says Jesus' instrument, for lack of a better term, was his life. And Jesus' instrument is just like us in every way. He took that instrument, that body, to heaven with him. It's his priestly body. And when a chord is struck in the weakness of our human instrument, our human life, it resonates in Jesus. There is no note of human experience, he says, that does not play on Jesus' exalted human instrument. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. See, Jesus is a high priest who doesn't just guess or imagine how you feel. He actually not only felt it, but he continues to feel it. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible says you and I are in Christ. We resonate with him. In fact, that word that the writer of Hebrews uses, the Greek word for sympathize, it actually means to share an experience with someone else. 
Jesus is the only priest who shared your experience in every way and then stood in your place. He is the greater mediator. The writer of Hebrews finishes chapter 9, starting in verse 24. He says, For Jesus has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he has entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest does, entering the holy places every year with blood that's not his own. For then Jesus would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But Jesus has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for See, the real message of Jesus, the great high priest, is not only does he offer a better sacrifice and not only is he a better mediator, but because those things are true, Jesus initiates a better, a greater covenant and a greater promise. See, Jesus didn't just enter into a holy place made by man. Jesus entered into heaven to stand before God on our behalf. That's his promise. Jesus is greater sacrifice, his blood initiated a greater promise. It's superior to the blood of animal sacrifices because Jesus' blood secures our eternal inheritance. Jesus' blood cleanses our consciousness. It seals the promise of an eternal covenant for you and for me. If Jesus were not our great high priest, you and I could not stand before God ever. We would be cast from his presence for all of eternity. But when Jesus came, because he offered a sacrifice that no other priest could offer, because he could mediate in a way no other priest could, then Jesus offers a promise that nobody else can keep. Jesus' promise is that when you come to him, you are cleansed once and for all. Jesus' promise is that when you surrender to him, your old life is dead and buried, your new life is risen. The same Bible scholar I mentioned earlier, Michael Kruger, he says this. He says, there's not a single sin committed in all of time that God will allow to go unpunished. He can't. Either God punishes sin in us or he punishes it in our substitute, Jesus. He says, you see, sin is a monumental problem that required a monumental solution. Some would say greater. That's what Jesus had to come to. Jesus is the greater solution. See, the reality is, in the Old Testament, those priests did what they could do. But the reality is, they were offering sacrifices to keep God and his wrath away. That's what that was. It was was offering the blood, goats, and animals, and all those things, and covering the people with them, so God's wrath could be appeased for a moment. And it would keep God and his wrath away from God's people. That's why the people didn't go up on the mountain with Moses. That's why they didn't enter into the Holy of Holies. They couldn't stand before an angry God. And so the priests sacrificed, they kept God away. But Jesus came and sacrificed himself to bring God to us. See, that's something that only a great high priest could do. Every other priest did what they could to keep the wrath of God away. The great high priest who we celebrate coming at Christmas came not to keep God away, but to let us know the love of God that brings us to him.
See, the reality is this morning, church, that's the kind of priest you and I want to follow. Jesus is the only priest who would give his life for you and me. He's the only priest who comes through on every promise and can bring a resurrection from the grave and eternal life. Jesus is the only priest who can enter the throne room of God and stand before him in our place of judgment and go before God on our behalf. So what do we do with that? What, what do we do with that knowledge? What do we do with this gift that we celebrate at Christmas? What do we do with the great high priest? Warren Wearsby says that a Christian's sanctuary is in heaven. A Christian's father is in heaven. A Christian's savior is in heaven. A Christian's citizenship, scripture tells us, is in heaven. And a Christian's treasures are supposed to be in heaven. The Christian's hope is heaven, he says. He says, so if that's true, then the true Christian will walk by faith, not by sight. No matter what happens on earth, a Christ follower can be confident because everything's already been settled by Jesus in heaven. So what do we do? What do we do with the great high priest who came on Christmas morning? We do what the writer of Hebrews said at the very beginning when we read chapter 4. He says we draw into the throne room of grace with confidence. We confidently draw near to the throne of God. It's not a confidence that says I have it all together. I can do this because I'm a pretty great person. It's not a confidence in ourselves, but it is a perfect confidence in a perfect and pure representation that we have in Jesus, the great high priest. As the band comes this morning, I'm reminded of the story of a, a rural doctor. He was noted for both his very good skill as a doctor and also his devotion to Jesus. And after he died, his books, his financial books were examined, and several entries in this doctor's books had written across them and read, forgiven, too poor to pay. Well, unfortunately, the doctor's wife did not share his generosity, and when he died, she insisted that all these debts be settled. In fact, she took people to court over them, and in one of them, when the case was being heard, the judge asked this widow, he said, is this your husband's handwriting in red on this ledger? She replied that it was. Then the judge said this. He said that not a court in the land can touch those who he has forgiven. Case dismissed. Church, the most important thing you can know this morning, the most important thing you can know in this Christmas season is that Jesus is that great high priest. And Jesus has written in full crimson letters across the the ledger of your life, forgiven, case dismissed. Jesus looks at you and me, and he knows that you and I are too poor to pay the price that he's paid. So Jesus takes the ledger of your life, everything that you and I have ever done that's apart from God, no matter how long or short that list is, and across every debt, Jesus writes, forgiven. Case dismissed. He is the only, he is the only priest who can do that. And that's what makes him great. That's the beauty of Jesus, the great high priest in church. That's the beauty of Christmas. That's the beauty of Jesus who came in the form of a baby and became so much more. 
so my invitation to you and to me as we begin to sing is a quote from Horatio Boner, a famous writer. He said, I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. Jesus bears them all and frees us from this accursed load. I bring my guilt to Jesus to wash my crimson stain, white in his blood most precious, till not a stain remains. Church, we invite you to bring your ledger to the great high priest Jesus. We invite you this morning to stand and worship the one who has set you free and set you free.